Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 to 24. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Tychicus, a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. I said I wanted to try to put this mic pack in the back of my belt. But I've been doing this exercise from an old 80s video called Buns of Steel. I think it's blocking some radio waves. Uh, if it doesn't work, then... Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't fully finish the video, so my buns just turned to lead and it's blocking the magnetic waves. But if it doesn't work, I'll switch off to the regular mic. Good to see you. Good to be back. If you don't know, I went to Europe for the past week. And um, I actually was in Paris last week. And so when I came back, like a few days ago, people asked me, oh my gosh, you were just there. I was just there uh, in Paris. Uh, Google mapped it. And uh, where one of the incidents happened, I was literally, like literally, where you could Google map and see... How far it take, how long it takes to get to that place walking? It was seven minutes, just a few blocks away. And just thinking back now, really does kind of break my heart uh, what happened. And I mean, you all know it's not just France, but in Lebanon and um, in Japan and even in Baghdad, all these things are happening. But so before we start. I was hoping maybe we could take a time, a moment of prayer. Lift up those that are suffering, that have suffered, the families that are mourning, um, people that are still in a constant state of fear because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering. Let's just take a moment of silence and pray and lift up a prayer, asking God to comfort and console those that need comforting. Let's pray. God, we just want to ask that you would be with those that are suffering, even now, that are reeling over the deaths of those they loved, and God crying out to you for mercy, crying out to you for an answer. 
crying out to you because, Lord God, we do not know what the future holds outside of Christ. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would hear the prayers that are being sent to you and we lift up these people, your children, as well in our prayers and we ask God that you would hear them. The world is in a dark place, but Lord God, we know that you are a light that can shine through any darkness. We know that you are a hope to the hopeless. God, you are the greatest gift the world has ever seen. And we ask that now, in this dark hour, you would make yourself known to those who cry out to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello, everybody. If you don't know who I am, I am the EM Pastor Eugene. And um, I spoke for the youth, I think, uh, maybe a few months back, a few weeks back. I don't know, when you get older, this time just flies. It's like, dude, it was yesterday. It's like, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's a joy to see that there is a joint service. This has actually never happened before, I think. Not in my eight years here. And when I look back, eight years to some of you might be like a long time. Some of you might be like, that's like half my life. But for me, eight years is like two days your time. So I, I guess it is a little bit of perspective um, I did travel to Europe the past week as a, a vision slash vacation. I wanted to meet up with a missionary who was in London to see if our EM could perhaps do some missionary work there in London, Manchester, and then, you know, eat fish and chips. I went to London and I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I've never been to Europe before. And his name is Ben. I was like, hey, Ben, just take me to someplace good to eat to, uh, give me some, you know, a nice tour. And he gave me this really nice, legit tour. He, he showed me this is where the, what do you call it, 007 movie was shot here. They did, like, this 3D uh, construction of this building that's not actually there, but they built it for the movie. I was like, cool, I should see this movie and I came back and everybody told me, this movie is terrible. Don't watch it. So I don't know if I should watch it or not just to see. Oh, I was there. I was there at this bridge. I saw from across the, the River Thames uh, the MI6 building and all that stuff. And, but the one thing that was a little, little um, sad to me was I really wanted to try fish and chips. I was like, if you're there, just try the fish and chips. And, you know, he's a local. He grew up in the U.K., he took me to this Argentinian place. He's like, this place is really good. And I ate it. And I was like, this is really good. I mean, but inside, I'm like, honestly, I could have Argentinian in New York. It's like the same thing. And then he's like, okay, I'll take you someplace else next. I was like, could we go fish and chips? He's like, if there's a good fish and chips place, I'll take you there. We took a walk. And he's doing this Google map thing for me. And then we end up in, like, the middle of nowhere, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what happened. It's like, I'm just hungry and I have, like, blisters on my feet. Let's just eat. He's like, I know this great place. I went into this Peruvian place. So while I was in London, I had Argentinian and Peruvian. I was like, what am I, Latin America? What's going on? And uh, uh, I was just, um, I liked it. I was just sad I couldn't have fish and chips. I, I suppose maybe I have to go again just to try the fish and chips. I heard there's, like, this really economical airline now that you can purchase a ticket to Europe for 99 bucks or something. Some of you are like, what? And he's like, yeah. But the ticket back's like 300 so just be warned. Um, 
And then afterwards, I took a train to Paris. I tried to be as economical as possible. So I did a lot of walking. Um, just to put things in perspective, my phone records, all your phones, most, okay, I shouldn't say all, some of you still have flip phones, but most of your smartphones have uh, a sensor, a pedometer, which records how many steps you take. And I looked at my phone while I was in London, and I did 29,000 steps. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. On average, I do about four to 6,000. In Jersey, it's more towards like 4,000, because I just drive everywhere. Who walks in Jersey? Except some of the youth group who want to go to Starbucks after service. But besides that, whoever walks. So I looked at it, 46,000, and then all of a sudden I jumped to 29,000. I was like, ow, that's, that's rough. And I had blisters all over my feet. People were saying, if you go to Europe, wear comfortable shoes. So, of course, I don't take their advice, and I wore Converse. And I had all these blisters on my feet. And then when I went to France, uh, I just had half a day, like half of a full day. So I went from a distance, I saw the Eiffel Tower. It's like, oh, Eiffel Tower is yay big. And then I would go and I saw um, the Cathedral Montmartre. From the top, you can actually see all of Paris. So I was like, you have to go to the top. So I walked to the top, and the staircase just keeps on getting smaller and smaller. Like, this was made for small people. And my, the sides, my sides are like hitting the walls. It's like, how, I, don't, I don't know if I can fit all the way to the top. Well, uh, thank God uh, it was big enough, so I side, was kind of side, walked up sideways. It's like a little spiral, and I got to see all of Paris, and it was really beautiful. Um, it was one of those vacations that I took after the vision. It's one of those vacations that make you more tired, so I was just tired all day. And then I looked how many steps I took in Paris, and it was 31,000. And, you know, just imagine taking all these steps every day. Um, but, you know, you're there. It's not like you're not going to take these steps. So maybe, maybe you won't. It's like, what? Who cares? Mona Lisa, whatever, Google. But, but um, I think it was, it was pretty much an unforgettable experience. If anybody asks me what was your most, um, what was the highlight? People always ask, what's the highlight? What they're really asking is, can you summarize your whole trip to one sentence because that's about all I care? And I would definitely say the Sistine Chapel. When I was in the Vatican, there's this chapel where you see Michelangelo and all these other artists who painted on the walls of the chapel. And then it was just absolutely breathtaking. I just stood there for, I think, maybe an hour until my neck hurt because it's up on the ceiling. I was like, oh. And then just looking at this beautiful painting. I'm not even an art guy, but I loved it. Um, And then when I came back, this tragedy happened, uh, seemingly in all these parts of the world, and it really broke my heart. I was crying while I would would hear the things unfold um, day by day, and in Paris, uh, minute by minute almost, and... My heart was just in my mouth. I was just praying to God for safety. I had a pastor friend who was there uh, in Paris at the time. And we have a college student who was there in Paris at the time. And she was, she was just like three minutes away. And she was just saying how there were ambulances and police cars just zipping by. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't know what was going on. So all these things unfolding. And now we have people on Facebook 
uh, changing their profile pictures into the colors of the French flag. Um, if you don't know why, some of you don't know why. People are like, why, why is France so special? I'll tell you, as, a, as an American citizen, France is special. They helped us uh, Americans, right? Uh, win the American Revolutionary War. They were our allies. They're our deepest ally. And you're like, you're not American. You're Korean, bro. I was like, bro, Korea doesn't even know I exist. If I go to Korea, they're like, who is this Eugene Kim? What's your Korean name? I'd be like, Kim Eugene? I don't know. It's like, I don't have a Korean name. And then I don't even, I don't have that 주민등록번호, that, that uh, ID in Korea. Because I've, I've been there once for a mission trip. Korea is great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, some of you are Korean, but some of you. I don't know, like five of you, I think, are Korean. But uh, growing up as a Korean-American, I think I gave this sermon uh, last time, I think, I was for youth group, identity and all that stuff. But, you know, the U.S. of A does hold a deep, deep place in my heart. And just to see our oldest ally, France, and just the fact that I was there, I mean, that's why, you know, it's like, it's like your neighbor, you know what I mean? It's tragic. It's incredibly tragic. We're not trying to downplay it. It's tragic what happens all around the world. But when it happens to your neighbor, you just feel it that much more. Um, but it is tragic what's happening in Beirut. Um, I saw this one thing on YouTube. People are putting up memes. It's not just Paris. It's Beirut. Hashtag pray for Beirut. Hashtag pray for Japan. Hashtag Pray for Lebanon. And I was like, Beirut's in Lebanon. Why did they get two prayers? What's going on? You guys, geography, anybody? But anyway, these memes are up there. And it's like, oh, come on. Just angry people. And so I realized there are a lot of angry people. People just, well, did I lose it? Buns of lead. But <laughs> people are just angry. And you just have to wonder, why are we so angry and people just don't have any peace in their lives. So anything, you would try to make some kind of statement. My heart was torn for Paris. Just the fact that I stepped foot there less than a week ago. And people are, you know, people just want to hate on it. So I found that very interesting. That's so interesting. That's so interesting to me. And so, you know, we try to be sensitive as possible. But the fact remains it is what it is. And our neighbors are our neighbors. The people at war against us as a country are at war against us. The U.S. has allies and they have non-allies. They have NATO allies, non-NATO allies. It's good. I mean, if you're in youth group, of course you learn about it in class. Unless you have a Marxist teacher. Those guys. Well, I'm just kidding. But um, we don't have peace. And... For our EM, if you don't know, for our EM, we've been doing this whole study on Ephesians. And we finally come to the last part, the last final greeting of Paul. And I was thinking, if we have a joint service, should I change the, the, uh, the passage? And I just kept on reading the passage over and over again. And I just thought, wow, this is so perfect. You know, God is so good. Last week... Pastor Esther spoke both for the youth service and the EM service, but it was on the armor of God. And in that passage, it says that our struggle, our fight isn't with flesh and blood, but we are warring against the powers of darkness, spiritual powers. 
And it's so interesting. People, my friends, are asking, if our fight isn't flesh and blood, if it isn't physical, how do we make sense of what's going on in Paris? How do we make sense of what's going on in the Middle East? Isn't that flesh and blood? And I have to say, yes, it is. But what's the point? The point is that if we continue to think the biggest and most underlying layer of the war out there is only flesh and blood, then we miss the cause of the war. Why do you think people are fighting? Why do you think it doesn't work when you say, hey, let's just get along, let's just stop the hate? It's not going to work because it's not a physical issue. It manifests itself finally physically, but if we've been in Ephesians together, we realize and we know that it is a heart issue. And the heart does not change. Hate isn't easily taken out of the heart. Just because we use the world's ways, you can use social media to shame people as much as you want. Much as you want. Shame everybody. Shame on you, you bad people. And then put, put a little picture of a meme with your finger out there. Is anything going to change? You shame people all you want, it's not going to change. Because in the end we realize it's a heart issue. How does the heart change? And we realize the heart can only be changed by the Holy Spirit, by God. God is the one that can change hearts And he changes hearts even this very moment, even today. That is why when finally Paul comes to the end of Ephesians, he has three greetings, which is the title of today's message. Peace, love, and grace. And when we talk about peace, love, and grace, I want us to talk about it in a tri-layer dimension. Always the world then our community and family, and then yourself. So think about every single topic with the world, the community, your family, church, that's community, and then yourself. Do you have peace? This is an incredible blessing Paul starts off with. He says peace to the brothers and sisters. He says peace to you, and this is a blessing that we can give each other. Peace. Do you have peace? Peace, even the very basic, very top layer, peace of mind. Do you have it? Duke University did a study on peace of mind and factors that contributed greatly to emotion, emotional and mental stability were a bunch of factors, but I'll give you the big ones. Number one, the absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness. That was a top factor. You think everyone's out to get you? You think their organization is corrupt? You think our government is no good? The people, your leadership is just out for their own agenda? And people are thinking these things in their mind. And if you live that way, you cannot have peace. There is no way you can have peace. And that's just one factor. Number two, not living in the past. You know, I've been here for eight years. And eight years ago is very different. Some of you in the youth group were my Awana student. And I was an Awana pastor for a good three years. And then I went to youth group, and then college and EM. But 
if I continue to live in the past, oh man, eight years ago, Awana was awesome. It was so good, it was so tightly knit, well structured, and come up to me now, I was like, Pastor Eugene, Awana's a mess. I wish it was eight years ago. Do you have peace of mind? That's the test. Do you have peace of mind when you look to the past? Number three, not wasting time and energy, fighting conditions you cannot change. There are so many things that we can be angry about. I have, I have a younger cousin. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly because I have like 50 cousins. You can look through my, my uh, family line. But one of them is just angry at the world, always posting about something the government did or some, something about, you know, some injustice or prejudice, racism in the world, always angry. And that's all he does, just posts stuff on Facebook and there's just no peace in the man's life. And I feel bad. Number four, uh, people who withdraw from the world, who just don't want to deal with other people. And you can see that. I see bumper stickers in cars saying, um, why is the whole world stupid? Uh, which is, you know, they're implying they're the only smart ones in the world. And I got to say, I mean, I want to just go up next to them and be like, dude, I'm smarter than you. But I don't because... I'm a pastor, and um, but people who think like that, no peace. Number five, you continue to indulge yourself in self-pity. Something bad happens, oh, woe is me. In today's language, it means, oh, FML, right? That's what it means. But always saying that to yourself, always thinking, oh, my life is so terrible, it's so hard. Who understands me? And people who think like that, no peace. Um, people who don't have any virtue, virtue like love, humor, compassion, loyalty. If you don't have these virtues cultivated in your life, no peace. People who expect too much of themselves, man, the pressure on you is rough, isn't it? And then you put that pressure even more so on yourself, and you can barely stand because there's so much pressure. How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to deal with this? How am I going to do that? And there's no peace. And finally, people who don't have anything to believe in. There's nothing bigger than yourself that you can believe in. It's always about you, so nothing bigger. There's no peace. Jesus Christ comes into this world, and he says something that we should all know. He says, my peace I give to you. Jesus Christ had peace. He didn't suffer from any of these things. He could have. He was fully human. But he could have, but he didn't. And he came and he says, my peace. I have peace. But not only did he tell us he had peace, he says, I give it to you. You know why? Because we don't have it. We do not have peace in our lives. Who doesn't suffer from any of these eight things, if not all eight and Jesus Christ comes up to you and says, my peace, I give to you. It's a peace that the world can't give because the world doesn't know it. It doesn't have it, but I give it to you. And this is a peace that is beyond not war. It's beyond just barely getting along. It's like when you fight with your family members, whether it's your parents or your spouse or your children, and then you just just let things be. Don't talk. 
but at least we're not screaming and raging at each other. The peace that God talks about is beyond just being in the same place. The peace that God talks about is shalom. And shalom means a complete wholeness. Complete wholeness. What are you missing in life? What do you feel like you're lacking in? What do you wish you had more of? Peace means you don't have that because God fills you with that peace. God fills you with that shalom and you feel complete. Are you kidding me? That's incredible. Incredible. I have dreams where I just want to fly. So I'm just like flying around in my dreams and I was like, and I wake up, it's like, oh, I'm not flying no more. It's sad. But then there's like this emptiness, right? I'm sorry. That's kind of very childish, but it's true. I'm childish. But there's an emptiness because people have desires and wants. As ridiculous as it may be, we do have that because it's not fulfilled in our hearts. There's some kind of longing that we all have. It's incredible, but it's there and it's deep. And who understands it? God did. God does. And he says, I'm going to fill it. There's no way he can fill it if he didn't understand it. And he comes to you. And he comes to us now. And he comes to the world. And he says, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that you can't find anywhere else. And I give it to you. The next blessing that Paul talks about is love. And love isn't just good times. It's not just where you hold your girlfriend, boyfriend's hand and the hairs just stand up on your skin. That's not love, by the way. Uh, we talked about this in the EM. That's called ego. That's called pride. When you feel like, oh, this person makes me feel so good, guess where the focus is? This person makes who feel good? Me feel good. I am the center of this relationship. When I hold hands with my partner, I feel good. The hairs on my arm go up. I am excited. It's ego. So what is true love? And Paul clarifies it's love in faith. Faith in God. God's love is beyond emotion. It's not ego because he came to love us until death. And he died for us. Who loves you like that? I would dare say very little to none. Maybe one or two. Or maybe none. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. Jesus not only died, but he had the power to rise again from the dead. You see, I can love somebody, and it's a very, very special kind of love. And when you get married to someone, it is till death do you part. That's the vow you make. Till death do us part. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love our spouse until death would separate us. But don't you see what that implies? Death separates death gets rid of love that is incredibly incredibly heartbreaking and sad if you've ever loved somebody you do not want death it's a story i like to tell and share but because it 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 just uh to me there's no more powerful story of just a mom's love for me, my mom, she loves me, she, she makes things, she cooks 
things that I want, right? And I can rage at her, and then she's like, why are you raging? And the other day, I came back from Europe, and uh, my parents and I had dinner. And then, you know, it was just a nice dinner. And then, you know, we go about our own ways. And then uh, a few days later, we had dinner again, and then she asked me, are you okay? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, when you first came back, you must have sighed like a million times. It's like, what, I did? But my mom noticed. I was just sighing and sighing. And uh, I didn't notice. And I just had to check myself. Am I depressed? (laughs) Nah, I'm not depressed. So I just went about my way. But then who notices these things? It was my mom. So a few years ago when uh, she lost both her kidneys and she was on dialysis, uh, she was at a point in her physical life where she just couldn't bear the, the discomfort and pain that she was having. And she would tell me for 10 days straight, uh, even if she did clean her bl- blood through the machine, because she's just physically weak in general, like the underneath part of her skin, not the ectoderm, but the endoderm for you you know, nerds, but um, it was just so itchy. You know why, right? Because there's so much waste and the blood didn't carry it out. It's not being cleaned. It was just so itchy. It was like an unbearable, unscratchable itch, and it was torture. She was being tortured for 10 days. She didn't know she could live anymore. And that, at the end of 10 days, she got a phone call from the hospital at like 2 or 3 a.m. saying, we have a kidney, you have to come right now. And so she went, and a baby had passed away, and the parents said, we want to donate these two kidneys. And she was one of the recipients for the kidney. And my mom, thankfully, is, you know, still with us and still healthy. And, you know, I heard the other side. The other story was the other kidney uh, transplant was not successful. So my mom was extremely, extremely fortunate. God gave us so much grace then I realized, don't I love my mom? The doctor came up to us and said, you know, she's very lucky. It's incredible that the kidney is still working and it will work if she takes good care of herself. Uh, the kidney should last 10 years. What did I think of immediately? What's going to happen after 10 years? That's what you would think of. If you love somebody, you do not want death to separate you. You want to be together forever. It's not just a spousal or girlfriend and boyfriend kind of love. It's just love. If you love somebody, you don't want them to be apart. Death is your enemy. You don't want death for anybody you love. And yet, the love that Jesus Christ gave to us isn't just love till death. See, after death, he had the power. And he rose again from the dead. And in Ephesians, it says he is the first fruits of the resurrection, which means he is the firstborn of the resurrection and he gives us the resurrection. In love, he's saying, you can be with me forever. Death will not do you part. And there is power In that love. And that's the love that Jesus Christ gives us. And that's the love that Paul is blessing us with. That's true love. 
the world, community, and yourself. And finally, he says, grace. He gives us grace. Now we are a people that have been fitted with peace and love. And then he says, grace. Now, youth group students, you guys know that you are gracematic. What does that mean? What is grace? I used to live most of my life in Queens, New York. And in Queens, we have two major airlines. One is JFK. JFK is really nice. It's beautiful. You could actually live there. In fact, there was a movie called The Terminal or something where Tom Hanks lived there. And we have another one. It's called LaGuardia. Uh, the, pres- the vice president of the United States got off of LaGuardia, and he is recorded saying, this feels like a third world nation <laughs> as he got off of LaGuardia. It was so ghetto. It was so run down that he was like, where am I? Am I in a third world country? He's like, no, sir, you're in Queens. He's like, oh. Anyway, um, <clears throat> LaGuardia was named after Fiorello LaGuardia. Fiorello was a mayor of New York City in, 19, in the 1930s. It was before some of us were born. But a story is told about Fiorello LaGuardia when he was mayor of, the New York, mayor of New York City during the worst days of the Great Depression and all of World War II, uh, he was called Little Flower because the New Yorkers loved him. He was called Little because he was only five foot four. So some of you five foot four men, hope for you. But he was called Little Flower because he was five foot four and he always wore a carnation. He always wore a carnation on his lapel. And he was a colorful character in New York City um, he would always ride the New York uh, fire trucks, and um, he would, you know, visit the police departments, the orphanages. He'd go to baseball games whenever he could. Um, you know, he would support the people, even if there were strikes or ra- uh, uh, petitions. And one day, he decided to just take over, help people. It was really cold. It was a bitter night in 1935. And he decided to just, you know what, I'm going to relieve this judge because he could technically be, or he could be a judge. I'm going to relieve this local court judge and I'm going to take his cases because it's so cold. I want to send him home. He just did nice things, right? And within a few minutes, he got a case that was brought to him. An old woman, tattered, clothing, just done. Brought, was brought before him, and she was charged with stealing bread. Um, and he found out her story. Her husband left her. Uh, her daughter was sick, and her two grandchildren were starving. She didn't know what to do, so she took this loaf of bread to feed them, but she got caught by the shopkeeper. And the shopkeeper is the one that brought her to court and refused to drop the charges. He said to the judge, the mayor at the time, he said, Your Honor, it's really bad in our neighborhood. You need to set an example. You have to punish her, to teach her and the other people that you can't go around stealing. And LaGuardia sighed. He turned to the woman and he said, I have to punish you. 
The law makes no exceptions. It's either $10 or 10 days in jail. But even as he was pronouncing the sentence, you could see him, the people there, witnesses would say, he was reaching into his pocket and he was taking out $10 and he tossed it into his famous hat that he used to wear around. Here is the $10 fine which I now remit. And then he goes, furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. So that following day, the New York City papers reported that $47.50, which was a large sum of money in 1935, was turned over to the confused, bewildered old lady who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving children, 50 cents of that amount being contributed by, of course, the red-faced, embarrassed grocery store owner. And the people cheered in the courtroom. They loved it. My friends, you don't know what grace is. That's grace. Grace is not taking something and making it what wasn't. It is covering. It's not changing the law. But it's paying the price yourself. This is something that our church is also struggling with. People are trying to change what's in the Bible and say, this isn't in the Bible. This sin isn't wrong anymore. This is our fight against that change. We are saying, no, the Bible stands true. It is because of the Bible grace matters so much. It's because of the Bible we know what true love is. It is because of the Bible we finally get to see how Jesus gave us peace. And people are trying to change that. And people are trying to make their own rules, put in their own culture. That's our fight. You don't know what we're voting about? That's what we're voting about. It's beyond homosexuality. It's beyond human rights. It is because we are saying the Bible holds the truth. It is the inerrant, infallible word of God. And through this, people find salvation. It's not changing the law. God's law is unchanging. But it's knowing that Jesus Christ has paid the price for you and me and anybody who would put their faith in him. That is powerful, you guys. That is a powerful God who isn't just sentimental or emotional, but who is almighty. That is the God that we believe in. That is why we vote. There is a big trend going on now trying to change, and we say they put the word Marriage, which was traditionally between a man and a woman, now can be between any two partners. And this is what we disagree on. And we are saying it's more than just that. It's more than just that. But if I had to nitpick, it's not the word traditional. Man and woman is biblical. This is something that God had created. God created marriage. He is the one that you see in Genesis in the very beginning. Very beginning, chapter 1, that's what he said. This is something that he has created. I'm not dictating it. It was God that dictated it. And why would I say I'm changing anything? No. 
This is what God said, and this is what we say God said, period. And so um, I, heard some, I, heard some, I heard some crazy statistics. And if you want to know how the Peace USA has been changing, then you can easily just look up, uh, what was the magazine? Presbyterians Weekly? No. Today. Presbyterians Today. A lot of times they have this thing. They have a survey. So they'll ask the, the pastors, um, do you believe premarital sex is okay? And then you see pastors. Like the most recent survey was like 35% like, yeah, it's all right. And you're like, what? That's not what the Bible says. Where do you get that from? And it's just an insane kind of uh, just direction everything is going in. So the vote that you see today is really uh, the church leadership has decided we want to take a vote because we want our church to leave this denomination but join another denomination that will still stay close to the PCUSA and still try to partner with them and still try to dialogue with them. ECO is a sister denomination. And so we want to do as best as we can to dialogue, saying, no, but we want to do it in love. And so that is what the vote is on. I'm sure the youth group know this is what uh, should have been uh, instructed to you for the past three years. Uh, college group, you guys know. EM, now you know. Uh, but it is, it is a serious thing that our world is facing. But let me tell you, look to the word. The word is unchanging. The word is infallible. It is true. And the word says to us today, peace, love, and grace. This is how we should handle ourselves. This is how we should handle our neighbors. This is what we should wish for in the world. Let's pray. And when we pray, I just want you to pray on your own for a few minutes. And let's pray that the peace that Jesus gives us now is a wholeness, a completeness. The love that Jesus gives us now is love till death, but beyond death, because there's resurrection power. And grace that Jesus gives us is grace to pay the debt that we have accrued. But let's pray. For this, for not just ourselves, inviting Jesus into our lives, but let's pray this for the community, our neighbors, for our brothers and sisters, for our family. And let's pray this for the world at this time. Let's take a few minutes to pray together. And so, God, we just want to lift up this time to you. It is not clear all the time. But, Lord, we want to pray that you would answer our prayers for unity in the church, that we would continue to give you all the glory. Uh, All the glory would go to you, Jesus Christ, that we would continue to bless the name of Jesus in this place, in this church. And we ask, God, that as you bless us with peace, with love, and with grace. May we be a blessing to those that are around us with peace, with love, and with grace.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.